All right, so uh, if you think about marriage or relationships, uh, you know, a lot of us are married, a lot of us are in long-term relationships. If you think back to the beginning of that relationship, think of the fire you had for that person. Think of the love you initially had for that person. Right? It was a crazy love, right? It drove you to do things you probably wouldn't do now that you definitely didn't normally do then. So let me give you an example in my life and with my marriage to Sarah. When I first met her, uh, you know, I, well, not when I first met her, but I noticed her and then some de- things developed. I'm like, man, this girl's awesome. She loves Jesus. I love her. And, like, when that first love hit me, I did some crazy things like drive 60 miles round trip every night to go see her. So I lived in this small town about 45 minutes east of Denver. She was going to church at the church I was at, but she lived 30 miles north of there. And when I say 30 miles north of 45 miles east of Denver, there's nothing there. Like, it is out in the middle of nowhere. I would get off work every day. I would drive the hour home, shower, and then drive as fast as I could out to Sarah's family's house. I would eat dinner with them, and her family was big, so there's like the five Thornburg children, and then they had foster children as well. And then after dinner, I would do the dishes with Sarah for everybody every night of the week because I loved her. Like, that's crazy. Like, I hate doing dishes. I don't want to do my own dishes. Here I am not only doing her dishes, but I'm doing her family's dishes as well because I loved her. And when you are first in love, you do crazy sort of things like that. My fuel bill for my car was unbelievable. Like, you know, it, just, it was a good thing I was single at the time because I could never afford to buy that much gas now. I did crazy things for her because I loved her, and that love was new, and it was fresh, and it was exciting, and it drove me to do those things. Well, you fast forward eight years now, uh, you know, we have a mortgage, I have a full-time, well, (laughs) a bit bigger than full-time job, we have four kids, life happens, and it gets in the way, and you forget that initial love. Not that I don't love my wife. Obviously, I love her very much. But I've, you know, that initial love just isn't quite there anymore. Now it's, honey, can you change the light bulb in the bathroom? And four days later, I'll probably get around to it so we can see to go to the bathroom. That's sort of a confession there. Sorry, hon. Um, but like, you know, that, that's totally different. I'm washing everybody's dishes, and now it's like, man, I can't take 30 seconds to, you know, unscrew the light bulb and put a new one in. And it's because that first love, that first zeal that I had for our relationship, you know, it gets lost in the day-to-day grind and bills and work deadlines and all those other things that come into life. You kind of lose that initial zeal. And the same thing is actually true or can be true for our love of God. And that's what I want to talk about today is that not that we don't love God, but that we can lose that initial zeal that we once had that drove us to do crazy things for the gospel. Please open your Bibles, or it will be on the screen. We're going to have Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this letter is a little bit of what uh, I call a correction sandwich, because it's got um, praise to start with, some correction in the middle, and some praise to end with. So, you know, your praise is the bread, and in the middle the meat, or the peanut butter and jelly, or whatever you eat in your sandwich, is the correction. They teach us to do this as teachers, like, hey, you want a kid to change? Give them some praise, tell them what they're not doing so well, and give them some more praise. And I see that here. The person giving this correction sandwich, the one walking amongst the lampstands and holding the seven stars in his hands, is Jesus. It explains that in chapter 1 of Revelation. Uh, Just to explain the symbolism real quick, the seven stars are the angels of these churches, the seven churches that are having a letter written to them uh, in the book of Revelation. So the seven stars are the seven angels, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This specific letter, the first one, is to the church in Ephesus. And Jesus tells John to write these things down. And since he starts with praise, I think it's only fair that I start with praise as well of our church. Our church does some things amazingly well. Our church loves good, solid theological teaching. Teaching that is based out of the Bible, not out of someone's mind or feeling, but out of the Word of God. You guys do not like false teachers wherever they may be, whether you hear it on the radio or on TV or you read about it in a blog. I know that because I get questions and I know Joey gets questions. Hey, I heard this. This doesn't seem to jive with what we're doing here. It doesn't seem to jive with the Word of God. I want to know if it does or not. And often, you guys are right, it doesn't. You are good at sniffing that out. I talked to Matt Moran this weekend. We were at a pastor's conference at Genesis in Woburn. Matt spoke here about four weeks ago uh, when Sarah had just had Thomas and we were in the hospital. And I, we didn't get to be here for it. But Matt says, of all the other churches I've gone to to preach, I love preaching at Restoration Road the most. Because afterwards, people come to me, and it's not just, hey, thanks for coming, nice job, Matt. They say, hey, Matt, thank you for coming. I have a question about this, or I really loved your point about this in the sermon. Can you tell me more about that? He said, I love going to preach there because your people want to hear the word. They want to hear solid 
preaching, and I want to pass that on to you guys. That is true, and that is one thing I love about being here at Restoration Road, is you guys love good, sound theology, good, sound teaching, and you hate false teaching. You hate false doctrine. I love that about our church. It's also a church that works hard. Like, you guys are a hard-working bunch. Many of you will work all day, and then when we need special projects done at the church, you're here. There are people painting. There are people building tables. There are people designing rooms, people helping build curriculum for our children, cleaning, setting up communion, tearing down communion, tearing down everything we do up here. You're at band practice on Thursday nights. I know there will be a ton of you here this summer as we have all these things going. You guys are a hard-working group. I really appreciate it. I love that as your pastor, and I hope you guys appreciate that about yourselves. It is a hard-working group at Restoration Road Church. And so we do those things really, really well. But I have the same concern for us that this letter has to a degree that we've gotten so caught up in the theology and so caught up in that stuff, which is good, and so caught up in serving the church, which is excellent. We don't want to stop either of those. But we get in those things, and we kind of forget that first love. We forget what drove us to the church to start with. We forget what drove us to Jesus to start with. Not, don't hear me saying that you guys don't love God. That's not true. I know you love God. I know I love God, but I know the struggles I have in my own life to do the same, to remember that first love. So some reasons I have for, for thinking this and being concerned about this is some of it is in our speech and how we talk. Again, at that pastor's conference, uh, one of the, the preachers talked about, uh, and this was to a group of pastors, he honestly asked us, he said, when was the last time you just told Jesus I love you. When was the last time you just expressed your love for Jesus to someone? And I hear a lot about theology, and I hear a lot about what's going on in our lives, and those are good things to be talking about, but I don't always hear that I love Jesus tone in our talk. It's more of the, yes, I, so if you think about like, when you talk to your spouse and you're getting ready to go out the door and it's the, oh, hey, hon, I love you, I'll be back, right? Because you love them, you want to say it, but it's not just the, honey, I love you. And you tell other people that too with that first like, initial love, right? Like I told people about Sarah and I was like, man, I love her. She is a great woman. It was the same when I first came to Jesus. I was talking about Jesus all the time because I loved what he had done for me and it was fresh and it was new. And there's just a sense in the tone of our conversations that that's kind of gone away some. And again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to you and to myself as I preach this. To some degree, it has also gone Actually, I want to be somewhat firm in this. It has gone out of our worship as well as a congregation. We sing, but man, the passion sometimes lacks. Especially when you consider the cost that Jesus paid for us 
everything that God has done for us, that passion doesn't come out in our worship like it should and like Jesus is worthy of receiving. So I think this comes down to a few factors. And I know this, is, this got heavy quick and everybody's like, oh man. So again, not judgmental, not condemning. This is an exhortation to turn and not be like that anymore, including myself. Some things that have gotten in our way that have bogged us down from that initial love we had is one is time. As a church, we've been going for almost four years officially, but we've been going closer to five unofficially. If you think about the meetings we had, getting ready to start this church. And so some of it is just time and life. You know, as time goes along, life, we allow life to creep into things. So we allow life to to creep in, uh, and we don't focus on what Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us. I think the second thing is, is we had this new exciting move about seven weeks ago, right? We came into the church, everybody was thrilled to be here, and we put a lot of work into making sure we could be here, and that things would go well, and that they would continue as they had been over at Nazareth. And so here we are, seven weeks in, and the newness has kind of faded and there's still work to do. It wasn't like all the work went away once we moved, you know. No, we don't have banners to hang along the walls and take down every week like that stuff's gone. But there's still work to do, and we've already put a lot of work into the building. And because we were so focused on that, that now that that buzz has kind of worn off, maybe we were too focused on the building and not about Jesus who had given us the building and who had done all of this for us. And finally, the third point is some of you may have allowed sin a foothold in your life. Maybe it is a small sin or a small sin in your eyes, but it is not a small sin to God. There are no small sins. Maybe it's something you don't think is a big deal, and so you've let it in, and it's just part of your routine, that sin now. Now, I'm not talking about when we stumble and when we fall, there is grace there. I'm talking about a sin that has crept in your life that you know you are committing and that you have not repented of. And it just sort of crept in there and got in there and you didn't you know, kick it in the head when it came in and repent. And you can't have, you know, if I was constantly doing stuff that would annoy my wife, that's going to, you know, cause some problems there with me loving her. And not that God has stopped loving us, but it changes our love for God when we allow those sins in. Because that becomes what we go to instead of the love of God. That Whatever that is, it, it gives us a moment of comfort. It gives us a moment, uh, it just takes kind of the edge off of whatever the stresses have been of the day. Whether it is an idolatry of a sports team, or of money, or of sexual immorality, or lust, or whatever the case may be. We have allowed something into our lives that is sin and keeps us from loving God as we should. So how do we correct this in our own lives and as a church? The scripture gave us the answer. It said, remember the height from which you fell. 
Remember where you were when you first came to faith in Christ. Do you remember that? Do you remember the joy that was there? The happiness was there. I remember it. I went to CSU, Colorado State University. Everyone's like, man, you love your alma mater, Dave. I'm like, I do, but you know what I really love about CSU? Was that was where I came to faith in Jesus. That was where it finally hit me, the gospel. What Jesus had done, how he had taken my sins away by dying on the cross in my place. It hit me there at CSU. And my freshman year, three weeks in, I repented. I came to faith in Jesus, and my love for him was strong. My week looked like this. Sunday morning, I was in church. Sunday afternoon, I was with my people from my church. Tuesday, we had a small group Bible study with a parachurch organization called The Navigators. Thursday was The Navigators' big meeting where we got together, a bunch of college students, worshiped Jesus, got in the scripture. Saturday was church prayer meeting, and then started all over again Sunday. At one point, my minister was like, Dave, why are you going to so many Bible studies? I looked at him, I'm like, why are you not going to so many Bible studies? Like, this just hit me. This is new. The scriptures that I had seen my whole life had come alive now. I wanted to be in them as much as possible. I didn't care what other people thought. My roommate made fun of me the entire first semester. He's like, what is wrong with you? You went to college and now you're going to Bible studies? What a waste. I'm like, no, it's not a waste. It's awesome. It's amazing. Do you understand what Jesus has done? He said, no. I don't. I wish I could tell you that zeal wore off on him. It didn't. But it was there. I was all about Jesus. I loved him and I knew he loved me. And I know the same has been true for you guys because I've seen you guys recognize it. We've baptized many of you. I see the look on your face as Joey and I dunk you down and rise you back up and you get out of that water and you give huge hugs because you're excited to be living a life for Jesus. You're excited to be loved by Jesus. You are excited to love Jesus and to do things that you normally would never have done because of that love. Remember where you were. Remember that newness. Remember the beauty of the Gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, was in heaven and came to earth. That He took on our weakened state as a human. A finite. You're in one place. You are bound by that body. He took that on. He became a carpenter. He wasn't living some glorious life. He was in a small backwater town. He gave His life to those people. He gave His life for us on a cross. Nailed to it. He was scourged beforehand. Just beaten beyond recognition for us. For our sins. So that we could be returned to God. So that the separation that was once there was gone, and instead we were children of God. Remember the joy you felt when you first heard that and it hit you? Remember the joy of that, the beauty of that every day.
Sometimes I think we kind of live in the shadow of the gospel instead of living in the gospel itself. And what I mean by that, oh, let me give you an illustration. I grew up in Denver. Before I moved to that dusty cow town on the eastern plains, I was like 15 minutes from the mountains. Not just any mountains, the Rocky Mountains. If you've never seen the Rocky Mountains, I know I've preached that before, but if you have never seen the Rocky Mountains in person, see them in person. They are big, they are majestic, they just keep going and going and going. But I grew up in the shadow of them. And so they were always there, but they lost that awe to me. Because I knew it was there, but I didn't spend time in them like I should have to really appreciate In order to really appreciate them, I should have been hiking in them and fishing in them and hunting and camping and doing those sort of things where I was just surrounded by those mountains. But instead, I just kept living day-to-day life right in their shadow and not appreciating them for what they were. And I think sometimes we do that with the gospel. We know it's there. We know we're forgiven. We know we're saved, but we don't really apply it to that day. We don't apply it to that moment. We don't apply it when we wake up and we're like, man, here we go again. It's another day at work. It's another day doing X that I don't like or Y that I don't like. We don't get up and live in the gospel. The God of the universe loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. Remind yourself of that every morning. Apply it to situations in your life every day. Don't let it grow old to you. Don't let it be something that's just sort of there. Live in it. And repent. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's something that happens now in an instant. We repent. We turn from what we were doing and instead go the opposite direction. And so if that has been you and you know that you have forgotten that first love, that it has grown a little old, not that you don't love God, but that the initial zeal is gone, please repent. Turn. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember the height that we were at initially. Turn towards that. Turn towards Jesus. Start doing those things you were doing at the beginning. Were you reading your Bible every day? Were you calling your pastor and asking questions? Were you wanting to meet with him so you could pray? Were you calling friends to see how you could pray with them? Were you spreading the gospel to your friends? What was it you were doing initially that carried on because of that love? Start doing them again. And it might be kind of awkward at first because maybe it's been a while since you've done some of them. I'm going to keep going back to this illustration just because it fits so well. My wife and I, I started a new job last fall. It was much more emotionally taxing than the job I had been at beforehand. It took a lot of my time. It took a lot out of me. In the fall, we didn't really, you know, we loved each other, and we weren't like arguing or fighting or anything like that, but, you know, it was just one of those times where we were like, man, you know, that initial zeal, that initial love was gone. And so we started planning regular dates, and that first date was awkward. (laughs) We'd forgotten what it was like. 
We're sitting there, we're staring at each other at dinner, which dinner didn't go quite as planned because I'd forgotten in planning to date how you need to plan ahead on a Friday night on the North Shore. So we're eating dinner kind of late. <clears throat> and we're having conversation, but it's weird. <laughs> we're staring at each other. We're like, all right, salmon's pretty good. She's like, I hate the smell of salmon. I'm like, oh, yeah, why did I order salmon in front of you? That was a terrible idea. But we could have been like, all right, that was awkward. We're not doing it again. Why would we want to do that? No, instead we kept at it. And the next date got better. And the third date was even better. Man, we were talking just like we were newlyweds or newly dating. We were having lively conversation back and forth about all sorts of things. I want to encourage you to do the same with God. Is it praying every morning, reading the Word every morning or every night, whatever time you used to carve out? Carve out time to do that. And it might be awkward at first. You might be sitting there in prayer going, uh, who, what do I need to pray about? And then it might come slowly at first, but keep at it. Do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And keep at it. That love will rekindle. It will be there. It will come back. The flow that used to go in prayer between you and God will come back. The Scriptures will have that life in them again. They will hit your heart. They will change who you are again. You will be able to share the Gospel with friends again. Keep at it. Do the things you were doing at first and don't let the awkwardness stop you. Go until it's being done right, being done well, and I also don't want you to think that just because you're going through a tough time, like a really hard time, that you can't have that initial love. Because real love doesn't just happen on the happy days. You're not going to wake up every morning going, this, I just feel awesome, everything is great. No, you're going to wake up. Our bodies are corrupted by sin. They're going to hurt. They're going to get sick. Our relationships with other people are corrupted by sin. They're not always going to be great. We're going to be hurt by people. But that doesn't mean that we can't remember that first love for God. And as we praise Him, even in those trying times, you know, some of the best psalms and songs that I've, uh, you know, ever read in the Bible or heard and worshiped were not the happy songs. They were songs of deep love that came out of times of deep trial where you had to press into that love of God because it was all that you had was God's love for you and therefore you loving Him in return. This is extremely important. I cannot stress it. And I don't think like this church is about to collapse or anything like that. I want to make that very clear, okay? But there's a stern warning given here. Jesus says if you don't, and he's talking to Ephesus, that he would come and take away the lampstand. In other words, he would come and take away that church. That church would die out. And the landscape of churches in America is full of churches like that. They weren't, you know, they didn't have bad theology. They weren't full of people who were lazy. No, they had people who were about good teaching and about good work but they forgot that love. We jokingly used to call these people in these churches the frozen chosen. 
because they had their salvation. They were chosen. But you went into their churches and they were like, like the band singing, everything's going. They're just, they're frozen. They're not just frozen in the church. They're frozen outside of the church. They're not sharing the gospel. It is not on their lips. They are not expressing it to people. And those churches have died out. And it's a sad story. It was never meant to be that way. They forgot their first love. And the churches are no longer there. So I say that we are early on in our church, but I want this to be part of our DNA, part of our lives, that our first love is going strong at all times. That we don't forget it. And that when a brother or sister, you see them forgetting it, you remind them of it. Encourage them to remember everything that God has done for them. Everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross for them. Remind each other of that. Remember the promise that this scripture ends with. That the one who conquers will get to eat of the tree of life. And gets to live in paradise forever with God. That's amazing. The troubles of this world at that point will be gone. We will have new bodies, perfect bodies that are not corrupted. There will be nothing between us and God. We will be worshiping Him day and night for eternity. How wonderful will that be? That we get to spend all that time with the person, God, who has loved us best of all in our life. Keep that promise in mind. Let it drive you back to that first love and stay strong in Christ. So I call again for you, if you know that you have lost that first love, that initial zeal, repent. If you know it's because of a sin that is in your life now, repent of that sin. Confess it. Receive the grace that we have through Jesus Christ. Repent. And if you are in here and you don't even know what I'm talking about, you're like, what is this guy talking about? But it sounds good. Then repent of the life you are living separated from Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. It is the best thing you will ever do. It is the most important thing you will ever do. Receive the love that He is offering. Pray with me.